How's everybody doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. By the way, wasn't it great to have Mark back? Yeah. It's been a long time. Man, he's a great preacher. He's a great worship leader. He's he's a gifted guy. I don't even know why I'm around. Um, uh, (laughs) But... All right, let's, uh, lot to talk about, very little time, so uh, I've got about two hours worth of stuff, but don't worry, I'm only going to go an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, okay, so this past summer, uh, my family and I, we took a two-week vacation to Atlanta, it was about an hour or so north of Atlanta, and uh, the reason that we had done this is that I, I recently, as you guys know, I just signed a, I signed a two-book contract with a pretty big uh, publisher, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Book comes out in September. I'll let you know when it drops. And uh, so, but here's the, so here's what happens. Um, I had to really f- buckle down and start writing because uh, both books come out at the same time. So I had to write two books at once. And uh, so we decided to rent this house. We took two weeks of our vacation and we uh, flew to Atlanta to rent uh, this, this, this house that had an office so I could work every morning writing my, my books. But so we flew into uh, Atlanta, the Atlanta airport. And uh, drove almost two hours north of Atlanta because I didn't want to be too close to the city because then I start getting interested in what's going on. So I needed to be kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But, uh, but we were out, I mean, in the sticks. Uh, there was like, it's one of these places where they have a cold stone, but it closes at 7.30. You know, because who wants to have ice cream after 7.30 at night? Uh, I don't even start thinking about ice cream until like 9 at night. But anyway... Uh, so I have a friend that lives about 45 minutes south of there. And so I'm like, hey, I'm going to be staying uh, up here. Uh, and so is there anything north of here? Because I, I, it felt like I was on the outskirts of civilization. And I said, is there anything else north of you? He goes, well, the only thing north of you is Dawson County. And I said, well, is da- like, are there people in Dawson? Is it, like, is it inhabited? And, uh, and they're like, well, you know, there's, lot, uh, there, there's only lots of people there one time a year. I said, why is that? He goes, because that's where they do the annual moonshine festival. And uh, I said, well, that kind of, I met a couple people from Dawson County. That kind of made sense. Uh, afterwards, some of you didn't laugh, so you don't really know what moonshine is. So you're going to look that up on Wikipedia on the way home and be like, hey, that was hilarious. But it's going to be like an hour and a half later. So you're not going to have the awesome opportunity you had to laugh. So I'm just going to move on. Uh, so anyway, so we get all of our family together because we're flying uh, from Miami to Atlanta. And so this is, this is what flying with the Franquist family looks like, okay? It's, this is my bag. I'm going for two weeks, so I've got to take a few things. These two are my wife's bags. Insert women overpacking joke here. Um, this, was a ba- this, this luggage was dedicated because there was a pool at the house. So this was dedicated to just pool gear floaties, swimming, like they have this, these swimming diapers. I don't know if you know about this. Oh, this is like a huge industry. Diapers, I guess, that hold the stuff in, even if they got to go. Anyway, so I'll move on. But that was just a swim gear. And then there's like this little thing, you can, even for babies, there's like this little Noah's Ark kind of thing that you put the baby in, you blow it up, and it's got even like a little uh, tent over it. So if there's a strong wind, the kid kind of blows away. Anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, you'll see those around. But anyway, so all that was in here. Um, Mia, Olivia, and Xander suitcases. Uh, stroller for the baby. Baby stroller. Xander stroller. Mia stroller. My bag with my computer and iPad. And then this was Xander's carry-on. And this was full of cars and cars-related material. And there's a few Legos in here as well. So uh, also not pictured is the diaper bag and my daughter's purse. 
And, um, and so we're, so now some of this, now these bags all got checked in, by the way, every time you pay 25 bucks to check a bag, you can thank me for that. Okay. Cause this is what they're trying to deter people from doing, from doing. So I check these bags in, but all this other stuff is carry on. And you know, so, and you can't just, uh, you got to take it through security because like the strollers and car seats and all that, you have to actually give this to them at the gate. And so you have to, you know, you go through, you give them at the gate, they give you a little ticket, and then they actually physically put it, they take it down the stairs and put it on the plane. So I'm taking all of this stuff, everything from here over through security with my wife and three children. So I'm walking through, and as you know, as you're going through TSA, which if you're not aware, stands for thousands standing around. And uh, so we're going through TSA, and then we've been in there, the line forever. And uh, they were kind enough to put us in the first class line that we were flying first class, but they put us in the first class line because I think they see all this stuff and they're like, we do not want to give these people any ideas. I didn't know I could take all that stuff. Like, no, you can't. Anyway, so they give us, so we're going through. And then as we're still waiting in line, we've been waiting for probably 20, 30 minutes. And um, my son says to me, and he says, Papi, what's up, buddy? I got to go to the bathroom. Like, dude, no, don't do it. This is not the time, but I got to go. And, and I'm like, listen, I'm going to teach you a principle right now. This is a life principle. It's called mind over bladder. You got to exercise that. You got to just pull a Jedi mind trick on yourself. You got to just, just, just do something, but you got to hold it. And uh, I can't anyway, so I got to drop everything. It was a mess. Now, the, uh, in December, I had to go to New York and uh, it was just me. Pastor Mark came with me and uh, it was just one night. I was actually in New York City, I think for 26 hours altogether. I just took this bag. It was great. You know, quit going through security. I had one change of clothes in here. I had my iPad in here and my uh, noise-canceling headphones, and that's it. And I walked through, had toothbrush and all the other stuff, and uh, walked through, no problems. And here, now here's the thing, and here's the point of why I bring all this up and why I want to talk about it, is that life is better. Life is better when there's less baggage. And that, listen, too many people are carrying around all this baggage in their lives. This is, this is what their lives look like. You can't see it, but this is what it looks like. And it's keeping them where they are, and it's keeping them from getting where God wants them to be and from becoming the people that God wants them to become. And see, what happens is, is that you start out your life, and you're pretty much baggage-free. I mean, you're not, you're not weighed down by any of this stuff, but then here's what happens. You know, someone hurts you. Someone disappoints you. A relationship goes south. You get passed over for a promotion. Uh, you know, someone disappoints you. Someone that you expected to come through didn't come through. And it didn't happen all at once because if it happened all at once, we would feel it happening. But see, it didn't happen all at once. But over the course of time, ever so subtly, we got weighed down with all this stuff, all this baggage from our past. And then you get to another place in your life and you wonder, like, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? I mean, what am I supposed to do with all these hurts, with all these resentments, with all these frustrations, and with all these disappointments that have happened to me throughout the years? And let me tell you what many people do. They just grow bitter. They grow bitter about life. They get jaded to the point where they can't even be happy because they've never learned to let go. And you can do that, and you're free to do that, and many have embraced that. And they are bitter and jaded and just, uh, it's just everything that, that comes out of their mouth is just venom. Because of everything that's happened to them over the years. And you can choose to do that. Or you can choose to embrace 
what I believe is one of the toughest challenges as a Christian, what I believe is uh, the heavy lifting of the Christian faith, and that is forgiveness. It's learning to let go of the baggage. In fact, when we talk about forgiveness, there is an entire book of the Bible devoted to the subject of forgiveness, the subject of restoration, and the subject of reconciliation. It's a book called Philemon. Uh, Philemon is a book... It's a little postcard of a book. It's one chapter. If you're flipping through your Bible in the New Testament, you've probably passed it and not even realized it. It's this little one-chapter book. It's only 25 verses, but it is a powerhouse talking about the power of forgiveness. Now, Philemon was written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named Philemon. So just to make sure you're keeping score with us at home. Um, And so now this letter was written by Paul to Philemon while Paul was in prison. And we don't have time to talk about it, but uh, if you read from like chapter 20 of the book of Acts through the end of the book of Acts, which is 20, uh, the, those eight chapters, you'll find an amazing story of Paul going to Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. Someone says that Paul started trying to start a riot, which he wasn't. And then um, they, they arrest Paul. They put Paul on trial. And then there's these other guys uh, that have decided that they will neither eat nor drink until Paul is dead. And so Paul, realizing that justice is not going to be done, he's a Roman citizen. And in the ancient world, what you could do if you're a Roman citizen and you didn't think you were getting justice is that you could appeal to Caesar. And and wherever you were, if you appealed to Caesar, you would be sent from wherever you were in the Roman world to Rome so that you could appear before the highest court of the land and appear before the Roman emperor himself. And so uh, Paul appeals to Caesar. And so there's an amazing story of him getting on the boat. There's a shipwreck. There's, he gets bit by a snake. It's all, you know, it's stuff worthy of Indiana Jones. But, uh, and then, so then he finally gets to Rome, but he's got to wait because as you can imagine, uh, you know, Caesar's a little backed up. So he's got to actually wait two years before he gets his day in court. And so he's, uh, he's in, in prison, what we would technically today call house arrest. So he's able to receive guests and all that stuff, but he's not able to leave. So it's like house arrest. And then he, what he does is he writes some letters. Four of the epistles in the New Testament were written while he was in prison. Uh, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon were all written while he was on house arrest waiting to see uh, Caesar. Now, here's the reason why Paul wrote Philemon. Uh, Paul had gone to a city called Colossae on one of his missionary journeys, and he had met uh, this guy named Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy guy in the city, and he shared the gospel with him, and uh, Philemon gave his life to Jesus. Uh, Philemon, being a wealthy guy, had slaves, and next week I'm going to talk about that, what slaves, slavery was like in the ancient world, very different than it was today, or kind of our understanding of slavery. Uh, it wasn't, you know, one race or group of people that was slaves. Every race had slaves. Every race were slaves. Uh, so it was very different. Slavery was about getting out of debt. So you could sell yourself into slavery uh, to pay off a debt. And so essentially, that was what was happening here. But I'll talk about that more next time. But um, he had a slave by the name of Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus is a slave, probably paying off a debt, and he decides one day that he's going to run away. He steals a bunch of stuff, he heads out, uh, he leaves Philemon in Colossae, and he heads to Rome, because as you know in the ancient world, all roads lead to Rome, and he says, I'm just going to get out of here. What he doesn't expect is that he's actually going to get arrested. 
because they find out that he's on the run from his master, which is actually a capital offense, uh, to, to leave your, your, your master if you're paying off a debt. So he gets caught, he gets arrested, he gets put in jail. But here's the really interesting part of the story, is that he gets put in jail, but he gets put in the same jail that the apostle Paul is in. So if you know anything about Paul, who's the greatest evangelist um, in, in the last 2,000 years, um, what does Paul do when he got, he's got a young guy that shows up right next to him in the cell next to him? Like, hey, you know, uh, so what are you doing? So he, he preaches the gospel to Onesimus. Onesimus gives his life to Jesus. And then eventually through the course of conversation, you know, they have the kind of prison talk. So what are you in for? And uh, Onesimus says, well, you know, I'm on, I'm on the run from my master, Philemon, uh, who lives in Colossae. And he's like, hold on, what's what name? Philemon? Hey, I'm good friends with Philemon from Colossae. You've got to be kidding me. And he tells me, man, I, I led Philemon to Jesus, and, and he grew in his faith, and, and I've been in contact with Philemon. And so Paul realizes that not only did he, come into con- did he come into contact with Onesimus to lead him to Christ, but he came into contact with, with Onesimus to restore a broken relationship between Philemon and this runaway slave, Onesimus. And so this book, as I mentioned, is one chapter. It's 25 verses. I'm breaking it up into two messages because we're going to talk about um, how to forgive in this message. And then we're going to talk about uh, what does it mean to reconcile uh, and how to, how to reconcile a relationship next time. And, um, but I, and I wanted to do this in the weeks leading up to Easter because we need to really get this. We need to understand this. Because I see no greater destroyer of relationships than unforgiveness. Uh, marriages end because someone is unable to forgive. Family members stop speaking to one another because someone is unable to forgive. Friendships die because someone is unable to forgive. And, and here's what I know about you. Same thing I know about me. Is that I do not want to look back on my life. You do not want to look back on your life and just see a body count of relationships that were just, you know, that just died, you know, over the years. Why? Because some, because we didn't forgive. Or we just weren't able to forgive or we didn't know how to reconcile a relationship. And so what Paul is going to do in this one chapter little book, in these 25 verses, he's going to teach us how to forgive. He's going to teach us how to reconcile a relationship because it is the best way to live. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to patronize you and tell you that it's easy. It's not easy. In fact, that's why I say that forgiving one another is the heavy lifting of the Christian faith. I mean, this is the tough stuff. This is the stuff that's not easy to do, but it's what we've got to learn to do because it's the best possible way to live. And that's why we need to learn what forgiveness is and how to do it. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to open to the book of Philemon. Um, and it's a, it's a tough little book to find, but if you open your new, you go into the New Testament, you know, you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you get the book of Acts, Romans, and you get, um, you know, First and Second Corinthians and then you get uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy. Then Philemon. If you get to Hebrews, James, you went too far. Uh, then again, or you could just look at the table of contents, and I could have saved five minutes of telling you where that is. So, all right. So anyway, table of contents. Then you find Philemon. We're going to start in verse one. Or if you had a Bible app, you were already you've already read Philemon while I explained all of that. Um, so, um, okay. So uh, we're going to start in verse one. Here's what it says: Paul. A prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to share with you about how to forgive. The first thing that we need to know is this, is that we need to remember that you've been forgiven. Remember that you've been forgiven. Because here's the thing, when you remember that you've been forgiven, it's a lot easier to forgive. I have this story that I've told, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me tell this story, but I love to tell it, so just laugh in all the right places. Um, And uh, it was a couple of years ago, uh, Pastor John, some of you know Pastor John, he has come, he's been up, you've heard him teach and stuff. Uh, Pastor John uh, lent his car to somebody, and uh, they, they dinged it. You know, as they were moving some stuff, or I forgot what they were doing, but they, they dinged the car. And um, anyway, so John came in um, and forgave the guy. And I'm like, so did you tell him that he had to pay for it? And he's like, nah, I just forgave him. And I'm like, John, that is so irresponsible. You got to just, you got to make him pay for it. He's never going to be a responsible adult until he learns that things, there are consequences to their act, people's actions. And I started laying into John and, um, and he's like, and John's just kind of listening. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, Bob, but um, a couple weeks ago, I lent, uh, my, I asked my friend if I could, uh, you know, so-and-so. Yeah, I know. I asked if I could borrow his truck. And, uh. I dinged his truck while I was moving some stuff. And so I, I, uh, I brought it back to him, and I apologized and told him that I would pay for it. And he said, ah, don't worry about it. And he just forgave the ding. And then I just figured when this guy dinged my car that I could forgive the ding. And I thought, maybe I'm the ding. You know, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and, uh, and I just, you know, so, you know, you just have this moment, and I'm like, yeah, 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 that sounds good. You know. It's like, you ever have those, like, I'm an idiot moment? Yeah. All right. Well, John, I hope you learned your lesson on that. I'm, Hello, someone calling me? All right, I'm out. And so, so that's what happens. And now, now listen, here, here's, what the, here's what the Bible says. It says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And that's what Paul does at the beginning of this letter, is that he appeals to Philemon and the fact that he has been forgiven. That's why he opens the letter just with the common greetings. But then in verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He opens his letter as he does all of his letters with this common traditional greeting. With the Greek greeting, which is grace, charis in in, in Greek. And then uh, peace, which is shalom in Hebrew. And the, the reason is, is because if you're going to ask someone to forgive, if you're going to forgive someone yourself, you have to remember that you yourself have been forgiven. You see, forgiveness is difficult because it's the, it is not the natural reaction we have when we're hurt. The natural reaction we have when we're hurt is to exact revenge. Um, I, I have three kids, as most of you know. Mia is six. Xander is going to be four pretty soon. And then Olivia is one. And so Mia and Xander play all the time together. And they are best friends and arch enemies all at the same time. Uh, at least that's what I see because they're, they're best friends and they want to be together and they, they miss each other when they're not together. And then, but they fight all the time. And so, it, you know, so inevitably throughout the day, someone comes to me crying because of what the other did. And so it'll be, you know, Mia comes crying. Well, what happened? Well, Xander punched me. And then it's like, okay, Xander, why did you punch your sister? Well, cause she punched me first. And, and it's like, so think about it. He's three and he gets punched. And his natural reaction is this like Himurabi's code of, from ancient Babylon of I'm just going to punch you because uh, it's why? Because there's something in us that says, if you punch me, 
I'm going to punch you, and I'm actually going to punch you a little bit harder than you punched me, just so you know how I roll. And so, and, th- and that's kind of how, how, how it goes. And so, and so that's why I'm saying that like forgiveness is not hardwired into us. It is totally counterintuitive than what we experience emotionally when, something, when someone sins against us. But it's only a person who has experienced forgiveness that's able to forgive. Jesus, uh, one evening, is having dinner with a religious leader. This is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. He's having dinner with a religious leader, and as they're eating... Um, a woman comes in, and this was not uncommon in ancient culture for people to kind of come and go in, in your home. You know, doors were open, and you could come and go and, and whatnot. And, um, and so a woman comes in and as, as they're eating, and um, she comes up to Jesus. And uh, what you did in the ancient culture is you were wearing sandals. When you came into someone's home, you took off your sandals, and then usually there was someone who served who would wash your feet. And it was just a common greeting. It was like a refreshing way to enter into someone's home. And, and it was like a way of saying, hey, you're here. You're our guest. We are here to serve you. And so anyway, so he comes in. Uh, Jesus sits down to eat with this, uh, with this religious leader named Simon. And then he, um, he sits down. This woman comes in. She takes a bottle of oil and she pours it over Jesus' feet. And then she begins to weep. So much so that these tears start to land on Jesus' feet. And then she takes her hair and she wipes her tears, wipes Jesus, the, the tears on Jesus' feet with, um, with, her, with, with her hair. Simon, this religious leader, he, he's take, totally taken back because he says in his mind, I mean, this woman is a sinner. And that's, that's code in the ancient world, which means that she was a prostitute. And he's thinking to himself, if this Jesus was really a prophet, if he were really from God, he would know the kind of woman that was touching him, and he would not even allow that woman to even wash his feet. Jesus responds to that. I put it in your notes. And then Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, okay. And this is what Jesus says to him. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfumes. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has, so she has shown me much love, but the person who has, is forgiven little shows only a little love. You see... If you're a Christian, can I, can I just tell you something? I mean, you read the story and you just, you can see, you can almost feel the desperation of this woman. Life has not gone the way that she hoped. She's done things that she could really wish she could erase. If she could just kind of turn back the clock, say, I just, there's a moment that I started making some bad choices and I wish I could have gone back and I could go back and just erase those things. And so there's this moment, this, this feeling of desperation in this woman. And so, and now Jesus says to her, this, this release that she's forgiven of all that she's done. And listen, can, can I just tell you something? That if you're a Christian, listen, we're that woman. 
We've been forgiven much. We're the ones who have been, who have been loved much by God. And if that's the case, then we need to be a people who can forgive. Because listen, if, if you can't forgive, listen, what does it show? It just shows that you've never experienced forgiveness. Because forgiveness comes from the place of, hey, I have been forgiven much, that way I can forgive much. I have been loved much, now I can love much. So he appeals to Philemon and he says, remember, grace and peace. Remember, God has shown you a lot of grace. God has given you peace through Christ. Listen, and and this is important for you to remember, Philemon, because I'm going to make a big ask here. I'm asking you to forgive. And that's where where we begin if we're going to forgive. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 4. He says, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now here's the second thing I want you to note that Paul does in uh, Philemon's life. If you want to be able to forgive, you've got to remember that you've been forgiven. Here's the second thing I want you to note, though. You have to remember the good in your life. Remember the good in your life. And this is what Paul does in these verses. He reminds Philemon of all the good that God has done in his life. He says to him, he says, I'm praying for you all the time, Philemon. And remember how God has been so good to you and has forgiven you and has shown mercy on you. So much so that now you serve God and you're a blessing to other people. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I, I do remember that. When we remember where we came from, can I tell you this? When we remember where we came from, it's a lot easier to forgive. But when we forget all the good that God has done in our lives. You see, a lot of people say this. They say, you know, I've been searching for God all my life. I hear people say that all the time. Can I just tell you that's not my story? It was 20 years ago that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. My brother uh, shared the gospel with me and and, and I responded. But I want to tell you something. I was not looking for God. I was running in the opposite direction from God. I could have cared less about God. But, but listen, God was looking for me. I wasn't looking for him, but he was looking for me. And see, I have to remember where I came from, and you have to remember where you came from. That you weren't looking for God, but he was looking for you, and he forgave you and loved you and showed mercy and grace on you and restored you and changed your life in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. And yet here's what happens. When we forget that, we become self-righteous and angry and bitter and unforgiving people. Um, Let me tell you what it looks like. Um, And one of the most, well, uh, the the apostle Peter, right? The disciple Simon Peter, he asks Jesus one day this question. That's kind of a common rabbinic question that a, a disciple would ask his rabbi. He would say, how many times is it, how many times should I forgive? Right? And so some rabbis would say, well, you forgive once and then you just cut the person off. And so Peter says, you know, how many times do I forgive a person the same offense? Okay? How many times do I forgive a person who has just sinned against me and then they sin against me again the same way? And he says this, up to seven times. Now I want you to think about that. Okay? Now I want you to think about that because here, here's, here's what it is. All right? Some kids are playing baseball outside of your house, like right in front on the street on your house. And they're, they're boom, and they, they, they break the, a window, okay? 
and then, and, and, and then you come out, and there's this kid who's probably going to get drafted by some baseball team at some point. You're like, hey, how you doing? Oh, sir, I'm so sorry that I, I broke your window. Hey, it's, it's okay, man. I, you know, I was a kid once. Don't worry about it. And then what happens? Then the next day, you just got it replaced. And then you come out, and the slugger's out again. And, and you're like, dude, what's up? Oh, sir, I'm so sorry. Listen, it's okay. It's okay. And I'm just mustering up every bit of mercy I can. Just say it's okay. Third day. I mean, at what point do you just like start going crazy? And it's like, dude, take up like tennis or something. But this is not working out for either of us. And so, and so he says, listen, so imagine what Peter says. Do, how many times do you forgive somebody the same thing? Seven times. I mean, think about that. Kid, sixth time. Dude, please. I'm begging you. At least play wiffle ball, okay? And, uh, you know, and so he says, no, seven times. And then Jesus, this is Jesus' answer. I don't say seven times, but 70 times seven times, which is basically a, a very Hebrew way of saying unlimited. You just keep forgiving because you've been forgiven. And I, I say, well, 70 times seven is 490. Does he mean just four? No, he's not asking that you keep a ledger. And it's like, you know, you're at 475, mister. You got a couple more and then I'm going to clock you. All right. So that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, it's unlimited. You don't keep score. Why? Because we've been forgiven. And then it says this. And then after answering that question, Jesus tells this story, which I put here for you in your notes. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. But his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all he had, and that payment be made. Just like Philemon and Onesimus, you're going to get sold into slavery so you can pay off your debt and then you're, you're free. But the servant fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his, servant, uh, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not. And he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And so he... When his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. And they went and told the master all that had been done. And then the master, after all, uh, had called him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay what was due to him. And so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Here's the problem in the story. And I want you to notice this because sometimes it gets missed when we read the story. This man never asked for forgiveness. He never asked for forgiveness. He never asked for mercy. Here's what he asked for. More time. You said it right here. He said, Uh, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. 
That's why he didn't have mercy. That's why he didn't forgive the guy that owed him money, even though he owed 10,000 talents of gold. You know how much 10,000 talents of gold was back then? If we were to equate it in this day, it was about $5.2 billion. That's how much he owed. Which, by the way, is that a random number? No, it's actually the amount that Herod the Great, King Herod, that's how much money he collected from his tax base every year in that region uh, that he ruled in, uh, in the Roman Empire. So what uh, Jesus is saying is, imagine if one guy owed everything that King Herod collected. It was just an astronomical number. I mean, there's no way that that would be, that, that there would be possible. So he draws on a real king, and he's like, what if one guy owed it all? But the other guy, he found a guy who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is not insignificant. A denarii was one day's wage. This is about three and a half months of wages that, that he owed the guy. And, but even though he had been forgiven $5.2 billion, he couldn't find it in his heart to forgive a guy that owed him three months. Why? Because he had never experienced forgiveness. Because he never even considered the good that God had done in his life. Listen, do you have any idea how much you owed God? All the sins? You ever try to calculate that? You shouldn't. But it's, it's a ton. I mean, it, it's insurmountable. We're like this guy. We were broke and we owed $5.2 billion. In fact, listen to what, um, how, how the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, how he says it. It says, And he made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath, just as others. If, the, if, the, if it stopped there, that's a tough scene. But here's what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's how God sees it. We were dead but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. So why did this guy not show mercy and forgive? Because he never saw himself as a forgiven person. He simply saw himself as someone who just needed more time. Let me tell you what we do. Here's what we do. We get to, we, we get to a point, when I, before I was a Christian, this was kind of my, my theology as I was a Christian. It was if my, that in heaven there was like this big scale, and as long as my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, then I was okay. The pro- there's two problems with that. Number one, there's no scale. So that's problematic. Number two, I was doing way more bad than I was doing good. That's the other thing. And sometimes you think, well, well you know, I held the door for this lady at Publix. Yeah, but I told, you know, telling people off and, you know, who knows what other criminal activity I was involved in before I was a Christian. And, and, and then it's like, okay, so, now, so what's, what's the deal? It's, well, but if I, you know, I did say something nice to somebody and then I helped that person. No, no, no. There is no scale. I don't need more time to just do good, to do good works or whatever. Here's the deal. I'm wiped out. I'm, I'm wasted. There, there's no way. I'm a person in need of forgiveness. I don't need more time. I need forgiveness. That's what this guy didn't understand. That's what we need to understand. You see, when you choose mercy, when you choose compassion, when you choose forgiveness, it says something about you. It says that you have experienced 
mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. Because the person who has never experienced mercy, compassion, and forgiveness approaches someone sinning against them in a totally different way. You did this to me, and now I will exact my revenge. A person who is truly a Christian and has just understood what God has done realizes, you know what? I have done so much worse. And God has forgiven me of so much more. And so I'm able to forgive. And that's why I choose mercy over wrath. That's why I choose grace over revenge. When I was nine, um, I was living in Boston. And I was hungry. And so one day I went into the, uh, the cupboard and we had this bag of Doritos. And so I got the bag of Doritos, and then I went to the living room, and I was watching some show. And uh, I, now, I don't know why I did this, but I did it nonetheless. Um, I decided I wanted Doritos, but I didn't want to actually chew the Doritos because I was feeling kind of lazy, but I wanted that delightful nacho cheese flavor. So what I decided to do was just lick all the nacho cheese off of the Doritos. And then, hold on, it gets better, because now they're still perfectly good Tostitos. So I actually took the, took the, and I just put them back in the bag. And then I got another Dorito, licked off all the nacho cheese, and then put them back in the bag. And so the, that bag of Doritos, thanks to me, had now become a bag of Tostitos. So I rolled it back up, put it back in the cupboard, and I totally forgot about it. That is until I heard my mom scream. And she had, you know, felt like she wanted to eat something. She opened the cupboard and got a bag of Doritos. And so instead of getting a Dorito, she got a wet, moist, saliva-covered and you can fill in the blanks how you think that looks, but uh, this moist saliva-filled Tostito, and, which, was, which was okay until um, she came into my room with the bag of Doritos in one hand and a belt in the other hand. And uh, that's when things got ugly. Okay, so now I have to fast forward 28 years or so, and uh, I have a bag of Doritos in my pantry. And uh, so I... I say, oh, I, I want to eat. We have Doritos. I'm going to go get some Doritos. So I open up the bag of Doritos, and I go to take a bite, and the Doritos are all wet. They're, they're wet, saliva-filled, and moist. And um, see, my three-year-old, at the time, my three-year-old daughter, Mia, had licked all the cheese off of the Doritos while she was watching a show. I didn't know these things got passed on through the genetic pool, <laughs> but... Uh, anyway, she had licked all the cheese off and put them back in the bag because she thought they once were Doritos, but now they have become Tostitos. And, um, and so, you know, and so well, what did you do? I mean, I just, I, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. And then I said, me and never do this again. Cause that's disgusting. Um, you know, just take the extra effort and chew. Um, but see, here's the thing. Forgiveness becomes easy when you've been guilty of the same thing. Understanding that I'm a sinner in need of mercy allows me to show mercy. Uh, and listen, that's what being a Christian is all about. It, it, it causes us to say, listen, God has forgiven me of so much worse and so much more. And now it becomes easier to forgive. One last thing I want to show you. Look at verse 8. It says this. Therefore, Paul says, though I might be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to tell you about how to forgive. And that is that forgiveness will set me free. 
It will set me free. It will set you free. The reason, listen, the reason we don't forgive is because we think when, um, if someone has sinned against us, I've got them. You did this to me. Now I've got you. And you are in my prison until I release you. You don't know what the problem with that is? When we don't forgive, it's not them who's in the prison. We're the ones in the prison. Not forgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just doesn't work. Unforgiveness, here's what it does. It traps people. It keeps people stuck in the place that they are. You've experienced this. You've talked to people so many times, people who refuse to forgive. And then, but they, they just blame the other person. So it's like, that person did this to me, and I hate them for it, and now I'm stuck here. I can't move on. You know, you talk to someone, they go through a painful divorce, and as difficult as it is to forgive, they decide they don't want to forgive. And they're going to hold on to that, but here's what it does. They go through that painful experience, but they, they never gain any, any understanding from it. They never gain any, an opportunity to show forgiveness. It's like, oh, but they didn't ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter. You need to forgive. Why? Because if you don't, it will keep you from experiencing a healthy relationship in the future. Because unforgiveness is a prison. And you don't get out until you release the debt. Paul, here's what he's trying to do for Philemon. He's trying to set Philemon free. Because he's, this is what's happening in Philemon. He can't believe this guy took off. He can't believe this guy, whom he's actually trying to help, is, I can't believe you would do that to me. I mean, after all I've done, I can't believe he would take off. I can't believe that. And he's kind of replaying it over and over and over and over in his mind. And so Paul is saying to Philemon, listen, if you don't forgive, this is going to gnaw at you and poke at you and just burn you. And you will not have any peace. You know, that's the funny thing about unforgiveness, isn't it? Is that you just can't stop thinking about it. Somebody sins against you and here's what you do. You just keep replaying it over and over and over and over. How do you know when you've released the other person, you've forgiven the debt? You stop running the tapes in your mind of what they've done. Does that mean you magically forget it? No. Does that mean you magically trust them again? No. But it does mean that after a season of time when you've forgiven them, listen, you don't think about that incident every time you see that person. And listen, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. But I will tell you this. It is so much better to be on the other side of this. To say, you know what? I went through a difficult season and man, I, I, I held on to that and I got bitter, but then I decided to release it. And after a season of time, life is so much better on the other side of that. Because during this, here's what you had. You had no peace. You had no rest. And every time that person's name came up, every time your train of thought led you to that person, all you had was torment because of everything that that person did to you. And listen, and we let it keep happening to us because we refuse to forgive. That's why, you know, people who are bitter, have you noticed that they always talk about the same things over and over? It's the same thing. They just go back because all they can do, they, they've trained their mind to just go back to the place of where they got hurt. Because that's kind of where they got stunted. It's where they got stopped. So everything goes back to that moment. And they can't realize that they're just, all they can talk about is what put them in that prison in the first place. Listen, as we close, I want to share with you three things. The forgiveness takes three intentional decisions. And I put it in your notes for you to jot them down. Here's the first one. It takes recognizing that it is about you. Oh, no, it's not about me. It's about... No, no, no. 
Don't wait for that other person to do something before you forgive. You have to decide to do it. Number two, it takes deciding to forgive right now. Don't wait till next week to think about it or next month to consider it. Forgiveness begins with a decision that you make in your heart and you can make that decision right now to forgive. And then number three, it takes being forgiven to be able to forgive. It takes being forgiven to be able to forgive. If you haven't made a decision to be forgiven by God, listen, today is the day. Because once you've experienced forgiveness, here's what happens. You experience God's peace and God's healing come into your life. Here's what the Bible says. Listen, it's in in your notes in James 5. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Let me tell you what else is a powerful force to be reckoned with. Revenge. Because it offers us everything that we want and can deliver none of the goods. Revenge makes us think that if we hurt someone the same way that they hurt us, that it will somehow bring healing into our lives. Can I tell you something? That it's not true. Revenge can never deliver the goods. Why? Because here's what God says. He says this, that vengeance is mine. That God is the one with perfect wisdom, perfect understanding, and perfect perspective can say, there's a moment to exact vengeance. But our perspective is too limited to be able to exact it. And that's why God says, hey, this is something that I've got to do. You've got to trust that God is going to do his work so that we can do the thing that brings healing and wholeness into our lives. And that is to forgive. So here's the question. Who do you need to forgive? Listen, some of us are here and here's what we need to forgive. You need to forgive your parents. You've been holding something on them for so long and you need to forgive them. You need to release that debt. Some of you, it's a family member. It's a brother or sister and you haven't spoken to them because of what happened and you need to forgive. You need to forgive them. Oh, but they haven't even asked for it. They they don't have to ask for it. You need to forgive it because God commands it because you've been forgiven. For some, it's a friend or someone who was a friend. It's an ex-spouse. It's one of your kids. It's your boss. It's a co-worker. Someone hurt you. Listen, listen, you need to forgive and be free. Be free. Because that's the question. It's not, well, I don't want to release them. No, the question is, do you want to be free? Are you willing to forgive someone who hurt you for the sake of being let out of the prison? The prison of our own bitterness, of our own hatred, of our own vengeance, and of our own misery. My friends, that's what's on the table. Let's pray together. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you offer forgiveness to us. And then, Lord, you challenge us to offer forgiveness to others. Lord, my hope, my prayer, is that today would be the day that we take out the key, that we open the door and let ourselves out of the prison in your power, by your spirit, through your grace understanding the kind of forgiveness that you've offered to us. God, this is not for the timid. This is only for those who are courageous enough to do it. So God, I pray, give us a heart of courage to forgive those who have hurt us, to embrace those who have sinned against us in your power, in your love, in Jesus' name.